History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 320th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. On this episode, we're bringing you a location that was suggested by our listener, Jessica Garcia, and that is the General Dodge House. Kelly, it's the perfect time for this because this is one of those beautiful Victorian homes. And when it comes to Christmas time, There's nothing better. Exactly. (laughs) Thinking about a decorated Victorian home is just awesome. And it was so fun having her and Arena chauffeur us around and be tour guides. And the location was just absolutely amazing. Well, when people suggest these places to me, I'm always like, okay, yeah, great. I'll add it to the list. And when we met up with them and she was like, hey, do you want to go check out the General Dodge House? I was like, okay, yeah, sure. But I wasn't like really excited about it. Not like I mean, we were going to be doing Velisca on this trip. And, <laughs> and the squirrel cage. Exactly. You had you had other things already stuck in your head, but this was an amazing adventure. Absolutely. It is such a beautiful house. And when you go there, you get two houses for the price of one. So we got to see the Bearsheim house as well. That is true. Before we get into sharing that with everybody, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Lloyd, Candace with a K, Chris with a C-H, Elaine, Kristen with a K, Pablo, AJ, Tracy with an EY, Brandon, Matt, Mel, Paulino, Jessica, Catherine with a C, Cheryl, and Jacob. Welcome to the crew, everybody. And now this moment in oddity. Is there any doubt that cats think they're gods? This is their world and we just live in it. And that living is to serve them. But there are humans who have thought of cats as gods too. Sephardic Jews had ancient myths about Lilith that claimed she roamed the earth as a black vampire cat named Elbrusha and that she sucked the blood of newborn babies. Matagots are a cat god from European folklore that are magical. People claim that Dick Whittington was able to attain his position of mayor of London in the 15th century because of his matagot. The French believed that once a Matagot was lured into the house, perhaps by way of a plump mouse, that their home would have good luck. Li Shu was an ancient fertility cat goddess to the Chinese, and it was believed that she brought rain and protected crops. The Chinese also believed that the ability for humans to talk was given to them by cats who could once speak. And then there's the ancient Egyptian goddess Bastet, who had a cat head. Her name meant devouring lady, and her feast day was October 31st. She was associated with music, dancing, motherhood, and vengeance. She would destroy the bodies of the dead with her flame if they failed a test to enter the underworld. For this reason, the Egyptians would hold big funerals for dead cats and bury them with riches and gem-studded cat figurines. We like cats, but to treat them like gods? Certainly is odd. The party's just getting started. And now, this month in history. In the month of December, on the 6th in 1886, American journalist and poet Joyce Kilmer was born in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Kilmer had graduated from Rutgers College and Columbia University and became a literary editor and worked on the staff of the New York Times. He was known for his poetry that celebrated the beauty of the natural world, and he was best known for his poem, Trees. This poem was published in 1914 and was unique in that it personified trees in the poem. Even though he was not required to enlist when World War I started, he did and requested a transfer to the infantry and was deployed to Europe. 
he rose to the rank of sergeant and served as an intelligence officer. He was killed by a sniper's bullet on July 30, 1918, in France. His poem Trees became very popular after that. The French awarded him the prestigious Croix de Guerre, the War Cross, for his bravery. In 1938, the U.S. government named a 3,800-acre section of old-growth forest in North Carolina for him. A park in the Bronx is also named for him. When one thinks of the state of Iowa, they probably just envision fields of corn. I know I did. How about you, Kelly? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And I've been there before to visit my sister, but I just, that's all I ever think of when I'm in Iowa. (laughs) Corn and corn and corn. (laughs) Yes. And there's a little bit of soybeans too. Well, true. And while there definitely are fields of soybeans and corn here, this state is also a hotbed of paranormal activity as we came to find. Oh my goodness, so much so. And there was even one place that we were going to try to check out the Klondike Hotel that we didn't have time to get to. Right, that's on the the schedule for our next trip. (laughs) It's just, it was crazy all the places we went to. We visited and investigated several haunted locations while we were in Iowa and the General Dodge House is one of them. The man who built the home has a fascinating history, as does his wife, and the house he had constructed is one of the most beautiful Victorians we have ever seen. Oh my gosh, it was so gorgeous. I mean, we're just going to go on and on asking about this place, but it was really that amazing. The inside is incredible, and the Historical Society has done a beautiful renovation and upkeep of the structure. And while people probably expect to find interesting accoutrements and antiques inside, they probably don't expect to run into ghosts. The house is reputedly haunted. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the General Dodge House. So we met up with listeners Jessica and Arena Garcia in Council Bluffs, Iowa in September. And much to our surprise, they took us on a tour of the place, zipping us from the Fairview Cemetery to see the Black Angel, to the General Dodge House, to the Squirrel Cage Jail, to Malvern Manor, which we will bring to you early next year. But we were just pretty much all over the place. They were fantastic hosts. And here's the incredible thing. They had us meet them at their home. I know. So I said, hey, you don't know. You do listen to the podcast, but we could have been axe murderers. murderers. (laughs) And then I thought to myself and said to Kelly, or they could have been axe murderers. (laughs) True. We could have been buried under their porch. true. (laughs) They had a beautiful home. It was great getting to see it, meet their fur babies there. Yes. But we certainly were not expecting them to say, hey, hop in our car. And we're going to show you the town. Absolutely. It was so fantastic. Council Bluffs is a really neat town. It has this great downtown. We went to a place for lunch. What was that called, Kelly? Lincoln's Pub, I believe. Oh, oh my gosh. Where did I still you get there? <laughs> I got this crazy, incredible burger and it had jalapenos, raw jalapenos on it and onion rings and oh my goodness. It looked like a heart attack on a plate to me. Oh, it was luscious and... Very spicy, (laughs) which is just how I like it. So, so good. We really enjoyed lunch there. When visiting the General Dodge house, you get two houses, as Diane just said. The August Bearsheim house is right next door, and we started our tour at that house. This house has been through several changes over the years. The house has an interesting history. First, it was their residence, and then it became a nursing home of some kind. we were wondering how efficient that yeah, was. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, no kidding. Very not efficient. Assisted living. I mean, it couldn't be a nursing home. Yeah. And then it was a girls' dorm for a community college. Yeah. yeah. And then when we got it, supposedly all they had to rebuild of the staircase was this lower tier. Oh, that's why the decals so are that's why right. it's different. Oh, I noticed that it was different. Because those are more of a peacock look or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But still, it's pretty impressive. It's yeah. I, I've never looked to see if this was the same. Maybe they had some of it. Now, do you know, does that top remove at all? I don't think so. A lot of the times they they had hiding places. Yes. I'd never heard that before. And when we went and saw a 
the Lillian Place house down in Florida. And he said what they would do is the firefighters, when they would come in, the first thing they would do is bust that open because it would have the deed and all the important oh, paperwork in it and grab that out of there. Know that. There's a bed next door that has a hiding place. Okay. Neat. So this house was built for August Bearsheim, who was a banker and a state legislator. The construction was completed in 1899. The house is a three-story frame house that is hard to pinpoint to a style. I mean, it was very unique. Yeah, and it definitely was not as fancy as the General Dodge House. It really paled in comparison to the General Dodge House. Well, truly in terms of like the fanciness, it, mm-hmm. that type of thing. But the reason why they really couldn't pinpoint a, a unique style or a certain style is because there were many different ones incorporated into the way that it was constructed. There's a wonderful wraparound porch. The things I liked about the interior of this house was the wraparound staircase. I mean, that was incredible. We will have pictures. I'll check. I think we already have some of these pictures up on Instagram. If we don't, we'll definitely get some of them up there so you guys can see it. Yes, absolutely. So another cool thing were the gas lights that were converted into electric. Yeah, you could see it right on them because you would look at it and you'd look up and it would look just like a regular electric light. And then right above the light bulb, you'd see this little opening hole or whatever where the glass right, flame like would have come out. Yeah, that was really neat. I, I thought that was really cool. And the transom windows above the door were so cool. Yeah, I, I always love, love seeing those. Absolutely. One of our fun finds was among those antiques downstairs. It was an old hotel register that had been transformed into a scrapbook of all things. It was full of old newspaper articles. Yeah, Kelly, I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit of a soundbite here where you hear us talking about this discovery. Oh, look at you. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't even know that was down there. That's new. Or, I'm here once a week, so... <laughs> Those are newspaper articles that they just pasted in there. Wow. Over the hotel legend. Isn't that interesting? Then it makes you wonder, you know, how many people's names are in there that might have been like somebody. It's like, just put newspaper over it. Apparently they thought these articles were important to save them. And you can see where the writing was from the the ledger. Definitely want to get a picture of that. I've never seen anything like that either. How to study Bible history. <laughs> the principles wow. of teaching. You can see their signatures. Oh, yeah. Destruction of Hellgate. Oh. Wow, that is big. When and by whom was Hellgate near New York blown up? None of these articles, at least so far, have a date, though. Like, I don't... Oh, wait, this one. Week ending February 3rd, 18... 89. Wow. Oh awesome. So yeah, articles in there from 1889. It was so cool seeing something like that. Absolutely. I have never seen a hotel register that was used as a scrapbook. I know. I mean, it, it's kind of a little bit sad to not see the registered mm-hmm. guests, but to have all that history recorded. I mean, they were just newspaper articles upon articles upon articles and it was just really incredible it makes sense because you can envision this person who has all these newspaper articles that they want to save maybe for their future family members or something we don't want to paste them into a regular book because you want to read the book you enjoy the books but here's this old hotel register that may have been tossed out in the trash or just tossed aside and it's like it's perfect it's already bound it's already got the pages you just have to paste stuff into it Absolutely. And it just, you know, it added that extra bit of recorded history into it. Exactly. Then we made our way over to the Dodge House. 
General Grenville Dodge was born Grenville Mellon Dodge in Danvers, Massachusetts in 1831. He came through the Council Bluffs area when he was 22 years old as part of the Trans-Iowa Railroad route. He was doing the survey work and fell in love with Council Bluffs. He decided to make it his home. When the Civil War broke out, he joined the Union and worked his way up to Major General. He was the youngest man to be a general until World War II, Kelly. Dang. I mean, that's a long time. That is a long time to hold that title. He also founded the first military spy system during the war and used information from Unionists living in the Confederate territory, female spies, and runaway slaves. And this information helped win the war. I just love this. I already was like, ooh, the intrigue of being an intelligence officer. Absolutely. But then you hear he's going to women and (laughs) these former slaves or runaway slaves to get this information. It's not something that you would typically see, obviously. No. And what a great place to get that information because they're probably really not going to be looking at a woman like, what is she doing over there? Oh, for sure. Dodge became friends with Generals Logan, Black, Sherman, Sheridan, Rollins, and Grant, and they would visit him often after the war. A fun fact for us is that his troop built a bridge over the Chattahoochee in Roswell, Georgia, before the Atlanta campaign. We were in Roswell in October, remember, Kelly? Absolutely. It was so amazing. And that, of course, will be an upcoming episode as well. We'll Uh, be talking about the ghost tour that we did there and all the haunted locations. (laughs) Yes, it will. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And it was cool to be in a place called Roswell that had nothing to do with the UFO crash. (laughs) True. (laughs) That, you know, prior to that was just down the road, not all that far from me. So, yeah, it it was definitely an experience. There will be no aliens in that episode. No, definitely not. This bridge over the Chattahoochee was 710 feet long and 14 feet above the water. And get this. It took them only three days to build it. Yeah, that freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> just, if I'd want to cross just it. Just a smidge. <laughs> how long did it take you guys to put that together? Ah, uh, three days. Where's the roundabout? Where, how, how do I get around that again? Yeah, I'm not driving my car to cross that thing. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> In the Battle of Atlanta, a bullet grazed Dodge's skull, and he was lucky to come away with only a concussion. Somebody wanted him alive. I mean, that's insane, too. Yeah, I mean, what are the chances that you're going to have a Just bullet a coming Just a concussion. <laughs> Very lucky indeed. So he went on to even bigger things after the war. Dodge became chief engineer for the Union Pacific Railroad and supervised the construction of the first transcontinental railroad, which was completed in 1869. And the railroad would really be his thing. He would continue as a railroad builder financier, director, and lobbyists in other countries would have him visit to advise on railroad construction. These countries included Cuba, France, and Russia. He would get into politics, too, and he represented Iowa in the 40th U.S. Congress. And you know what, Kelly? He was so good at the political stuff that Republican presidents who served between the Civil War and World War I would seek his advice. He would go on to get involved in the mercantile business, and he even organized a bank. This all made him a very wealthy man, and he built himself a magnificent home in 1869. And how much do you think that was for? Mm, I don't really have a guess, but from what I've heard, $35,000. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot to us today, but it's a lot of that time. The General Dodge House was designed by Chicago architect William Boynton with heavy supervision by the General. So this was a guy who was not just going to let him go ahead and do the house however he wanted. He had specific things he wanted to be added to this house. He insisted on upgrades like central heating and hot and cold running water. And most importantly, Kelly? (laughs) Closets. (laughs) Especially for the women. We've got to have those closets. And that may sound kind of silly, but what's one of the things that we've noticed when we've been in Victorian homes? They're usually tiny. Yeah, if they have a closet. Yeah, at all. It's like a foot deep. Yeah, I mean, when we were at the Baker house, the staff would just bring clothes down from the attic for them to dress in. Yeah, so it was basically, here's what you're wearing today. Exactly. They didn't really have a a suitable closet. The other upgrade were telephones, and they were in various parts of the house, like the library and the kitchen. The general spared no expense. For those of you familiar with the awesome Gothic water tower in Chicago, and oh my God, it is so beautiful. 
Boyington designed that. So the guy that designed this home designed that water tower. So you can kind of see why this house ended up being so beautiful. That water tower in Chicago was one of the only structures to survive the Chicago fire, Kelly. Oh my goodness. Well, luckily it did. Yeah. I mean, because it is, it is a grand structure. Very cool. The exterior is just gorgeous, done in the Second Empire style with a mansard roof that has medallioned eaves, and there are many dormers with eared and rounded tops and lots of windows, many of which are tall and narrow. Some have segmented arch tops and others have decorative stone hoods. The house stands three stories with a basement. Kelly, what did you think when we first walked through the front door of this house? Oh my gosh, the entry was so grand. It was so beautiful. I've never seen anything quite like it when you walk into the foyer. Obviously, you've got these rooms that branch off of it. And it ends in this wraparound staircase at the very end. Right. That was the thing that caught my eye the most. Yeah, because usually when you come into these big homes, there's a grand staircase that's right there in that main hallway usually, but it's kind of a straight up to the second floor thing. Exactly. The way that it it was situated within the foyer, it, it kind of was, I don't know, almost unassuming mm-hmm. to a certain extent, but for the time frame, it was so unique. To me, it felt like like most houses kind of feel open when you walk into the foyer. This one was closed. It was like, here's the hallway. And it almost felt like it could suck you all the way down to the end and wrap <laughs> you around the stairs and take you up. Well, I think that was due in part to the wallpaper. You know, they mm-hmm. had the wallpaper along the walls, but then also up on the ceiling and on the under portion of the staircase. Exactly. I guess I'd never noticed in some of these Victorian homes that that was kind of a standard thing that they would do is wallpaper the ceilings. I had no idea. And and that definitely kind of brought your your eye to the back of that area. And then when you get to the staircase, there were a couple of unique elements there. So there was a niche in the staircase wall that displayed an 1806 Simon Willard banjo clock that Dodge was given by his parents. On top of the base of the staircase banister, or what is referred to as the newel post, is a very unique lamp. Yeah, it was very cool. It was beautiful, and I'd never seen anything like that before. Once, a kid was sliding down the banister and knocked it off, so there is a rod going through it now. I can't imagine. I can't remember when they said that happened, if it was a kid who was visiting or if it was a family member who had done it. I thought it was one of their children... It may um, be. And I mean, this isn't just a little lamp. Like, I mean, it looked like it had, chi- it was like china, metal, and then this yes, lamp. Yes, it was at significant. The top. And to be sliding down that, that staircase rail, oh my goodness. And the fact that he took it out with his bum, probably, I'm sure it didn't feel very good. Hopefully it was his bum. He wasn't sliding. <laughs> Hopefully he wasn't sliding forward. Oh, man. Yeah, he would have been, yeah, not very happy. Mm -mm. I bet he never did it again. (laughs) I'm sure his parents probably didn't have to tell him not to do that again. I'm sure. Well, Kelly, that lamp that's on that newel post and the chandelier that's in the hallway here are original pieces to the house. And the wallpaper that you were just talking about is similar to what was originally in the house. Obviously, it's not the original paper because that would not have survived. Sure. But it's very similar to what they would have used. Another original piece found in this entrance hall was the beautiful Etar Jerry, I think is how you say that. I'm not really sure. Basically, it's a fancy bookshelf and it's been inlaid with Mother of Pearl. It was so beautiful. And then what was that piece that you wouldn't expect to normally see in a hallway <laughs> when you looked up? I'm expecting it depends upon the home. But it was an elk head, a taxidermied elk head that was up above us. And obviously, this was not an original piece either, because that wouldn't have survived all this time. But they did have an elk head in the hallway originally. Correct. Yes. We're going to go ahead and share a little soundbite about that. Isn't it just breathtaking yes. from the entryway? This is my so my door. My key won't fit the front door, and this is dead bolted and chained. Oh yeah. And so it's like, well, I have to go in the back, but I want you guys to see this yeah. from yes. the front. Yeah. Here, hon, if, if you've oh, got a spare hand. Yeah. Isn't he gorgeous? He, originally, there was an elk in this hallway, and then for a long time, we you know, had a large population of elk in Iowa, and for a long time, there was a deer there instead, and uh, he was finally replaced with an elk they had. 
a second grade tour going through when they were hanging the elk and they were giving the second graders the option to help name the elk. Mm. One of the second graders wanted to name an elk in general. That's cute. He unfortunately is uh, named Alder, I believe. So in the naming contest, which took place in 2014, you know, it was kind of hard to understand the names that the guide said, but apparently one kid wanted to name the elk Elkin John, (laughs) (laughs) which was voted the most creative. It is. The third place name was Spike, which understandably so, with the big rack of horns. yeah. Yeah. The second place was Sherman for General Sherman. And so the winning name was actually Arbor, not Alder. And it was due to the fact that the bust of the elk was donated by Arbor Bank. And so she named it thus. That makes sense. The guide had said Alder. I I guess she misspoken. And then when you told me that the name was Arbor, I was like, what? Why? But that makes sense because it was the bank that donated it. One of the rooms the hall opens into is the library, which houses the original black walnut and butternut bookcases. This was clearly a room that General Dodge spent much of his time writing and pondering life. Some of his treasures still remain here, including sabers, a Tiffany bronze inkwell, bison horn candlesticks, a Winchester saddle ring carbine, a Turkish style table, and books, some of which he wrote about his personal adventures. Those books, I mean, his whole library were just amazing, but... Just seeing those little turquoise-bound books, it just made them really stand out. Yeah, when you first walk in and you look at the bookcase, you see all these books like you would see in an official library with the fancy binding and gold lettering. And then all of a sudden you see these, I don't know, it was like a dozen, and they were maybe... Half an inch. Half an inch thick. Yeah. Bound books that were just turquoise colored. You would normally sit there and go, what in the world are those doing among all these really nice books? They may have looked out of place, but essentially, given who wrote them, I thought it was amazing. I wanted to pull them down and and thumb through them, although obviously. These were his personal recollections of the war, his life during that time. It would have been really neat. A solarium branches off of this, and we found that old wheelchair hanging out there, Kelly. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That was crazy. Just looking through that quote-unquote window. Yeah, because the door was actually a window. And we've seen this in many Victorian homes that we've been in, where in order to get out to the porch or the patio area. Sunroom. Anything like that. You step through this really long window. It's kind of weird. Why in the world do you do that? (laughs) And you better duck. Essentially, they're taxed according to doors. So if you're going to have this additional area, you know, attached to your home, you don't want to attach a door to that because it's just going to incur more taxes. So better yet, let's attach a window right here and tall people can just kind of duck a little bit to the limbo, (laughs) whatever you choose to get out to that area. Yeah, it was an ingenious way to skirt around some taxes, which to me are ridiculous. Absolutely. How do you go through and tax doors? That's just because a door is not necessarily a room. Right. I mean, same thing for closets, I'm sure. I think that's one of the reasons why they didn't have a lot of closets because you didn't want to have to put a door on a closet and maybe you didn't necessarily want to have the closet open up into the room. I would imagine so. There were so many interesting details to this house, Kelly. How thick were the walls? Oh, gosh, they were a good solid 12 inches or so. They were so wide. I can't imagine doing construction today making walls that thick. Some of us probably wish we had foot-thick walls, especially in apartments. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Good grief. But in our homes today, it really wouldn't make sense. That's just more area that you've got to try to insulate, I guess. True. And I, I am very curious as to how they insulated those. Yeah, I would be too. The other thing that we noticed in this house that I hadn't noticed in Victorians before, but I'm sure it's probably the standard, is that some of the doorways were bigger than others. Right. I believe from what I read that the narrower doorways tended to indicate that the area behind them were more of a private area. You're not supposed to go beyond that. When you had the wider doorways, it was open to whomever was visiting at the time. 
Yeah, so when we go into Victorian homes now in the future, I'm going to be looking, is the entrance to the parlor that much bigger than, say, the library over here? Definitely. (laughs) And we'll just kind of walk through all of them just to see what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) We're going into everything. Nothing's private to us. Except for maybe if it has the little rope over the door. Maybe we will go in Well, of course, of course. (laughs) The shutters from the windows, especially in this home, folded up into the wallway, which might explain why some of them were a foot thick, because they needed somewhere to fold those shutters up into. Right. This home had seven fireplaces, and all of them had marble mantelpieces. And I commented that someone should make a coffee book table of these mantelpieces. Absolutely. And we have a listener and a friend of our show that... Yeah, Kathy, you joined us in the Velisca house. Yes. I mean, she's been going around taking photographs and documenting multiple locations where they just had amazing mantelpieces. Yeah. And she shared a bunch of them in the Spooktacular crew. And then I made the comment in there, too. I said, I've been telling Kelly that somebody needs to make a coffee table book about these. I remember. And now I'm thinking there should be one for chandeliers, too. Definitely. I mean, they are so individual from location to location. We've just seen some amazing pieces. There are pieces. They really are. Because these mantel pieces, whether they're wood or marble, are all carved. Many of them with things that indicate specific things about the family who owned the house. Chandeliers, same thing. They're all designed differently. They're from different countries. Some of them are Tiffany lamps. Others are from China and that kind of thing. So... Somebody get on it. Make those books. All very unique. And yes, we need those books. Of course, we just had Christmas. And that makes us think, what does this home look like decorated for Christmas? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I wanted to see that so much. Another of the rooms off the hallway is the dining room. And there's a funny story about the picture above the mantle in this room. (laughs) Yes. Guys, there's a picture in here I want to point out right here on the wall. It's a painting by an artist of the Victorian era named Tom Birchie. And that is a hunter's prey, obviously, a rabbit, some birds. Mrs. Dodge hated that picture, especially in the dining room. I'm sure. But that was General Dodge's favorite picture. Uh. He was out of town, which was quite frequently. That was in a closet. Ah, that's funny. I can certainly understand where (laughs) there's this piece of artwork that you absolutely abhor when your significant other is out of the house. You know what? Just tuck it away. (laughs) Well, if you think about it, you've got this fancy grand dining room and they had presidents who came into that dining room. Generals (laughs) would eat in this dining room. And I can just imagine that Ruth Ann is sitting there looking above the mantle and going, there's a bunch of dead animals I in that know. picture. <laughs> this is just not what people need to be looking at when they're eating dinner. Exactly. So I love that she just took that initiative. She's like, I'm taking the bull by the horns, so to speak, and <laughs> getting rid of it for now. So Diane, you just mentioned meals that were, were had in this formal dining room. And so five former presidents that ate in this room were Grant McKinley- Teddy Roosevelt, Taft, and Hoover. Much of what is in here is original, including the mahogany server, corner hutch, dining table, and eight chairs. There are four massive silver candlesticks from his private railroad car. There's also a small butlery opening off the dining room that passes to the kitchen. On the opposite side of the library and dining room are the front and back parlors that were like one of those other Victorians where the owners could close off the parlors from each other to separate the women from the men. Yeah, because you didn't want them mingling together. Oh, my goodness. You better not. The men have to have their brandy and cigars and talk the talk, you know. (laughs) Right. And they don't want to listen to the women's gossip. Oh, chatter, chatter, cackle, cackle. (laughs) So the marble fireplace in the front parlor is graced with ear vases Mrs. Dodge brought back from Paris. There is an inlaid fruitwood table with an amethyst Mary Gregory vase displayed on top. Mirrors on the front and back wall are huge and have given the parlor the nickname the Hall of Mirrors. And they make the room feel so much bigger. The guide said it is breathtaking when the Christmas trees are in here. I really want to see that. Oh, I can't even imagine because you already know that these trees are going to be amazingly decorated. And then with all the mirrors around them. Yes, it must be so gorgeous. 
The Brussels lace curtains were reproductions made in Switzerland. The parquet floors were laid with square nails. And our group loved the elaborate door hinges that had such an intricate design. They were gorgeous. I mean, door hinges? Yeah, you wouldn't expect that they would take a long time to detail out these. Not at all, but they were just beautiful. It makes you wonder if they just had people who ended up standing in the doorways a lot. So they wanted them to have something that was visually appealing. (laughs) I guess. I mean, the doors themselves were beautiful as well. Everything was just so gorgeous. A lot of the stuff that we're describing for you guys are either going to be in the notes that are up on the blog and the link to the show notes are in with the description for the show. And then we also are going to have a bunch of them up on Instagram, too. We'll definitely be sure to include a picture of the hinges because you took one of Yes, I was very particular about getting pictures of the hinges and the doors themselves. They were just amazing. Yes. So the back parlor had portraits of the general and Ruth Ann circa the 1870s. There were six Victorian parlor chairs in here, along with a red armchair that were all original to the Dodges. And as you're hearing us say quite a bit here, a lot of the furniture in this home was original to the Dodges, which you it was do shocking. Not find. Yes. Yeah. And that the reason why is because this didn't pass through a whole bunch of hands. It pretty much stayed with the Dodges and then it went to the historical society. Yes, it was really impressive to see all that original furniture. Yeah, you just really don't see that. No. We went upstairs to the bedrooms, as is the case for many couples as they get older. The general and Mrs. Dodge did not share a bedroom. So they started off sharing a master, but, you know, I don't know, maybe he started snoring or something. Maybe she was snoring. That could be, too. That's <laughs> not always you never the guys. Know. <laughs> as I've been told, I snore. Oh, not that bad. I think Mia <laughs> snores more than you do, our little fur kid. Yeah, she does snore pretty loud. The former master suite became the general's den and is painted and decorated in gray, red, and gold. Some of his belongings are still here, like razors, a walking stick, vest, eyeglasses, black shoes, and a paperweight. There's a nursery next to this room that contains a dollhouse with Victorian furnishings and Ann Dodge's cherry wood Jenny Lynn bed. And we need to go down a rabbit hole here, Kelly, for just a minute. Here we go. Hang on, folks. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole and I've brought you with me. So Kelly, as I was reading over our notes and reminding myself of all the things we saw, I noticed that it said this Jenny Lind bed and I went, huh, that's an interesting style, I guess, since they call it Jenny Lind. Why was it named that? Because the only Jenny Lind most people are probably aware of is the one that we're aware of. From The Greatest Showman. Yes, who was not just a character in that movie, which happens to be one of our favorites. Definitely one of our favorites. But she was a real person who actually lived, and she was known as the Swedish Nightingale. And P.T. Barnum brought her to America in 1851. He was a big-time promoter, as you all know, sometimes stretching the truth. A little bit. (laughs) But he wanted to promote the hell out of Jenny Lind. And I had no idea this had happened. They don't show it in the movie. But he created the Jenny Lind brand. He certainly did. Products under this brand included hats and gloves, tobacco, and clearly furniture. The Jenny Lind bed is a spool bed with square corners on the head and footboard. And the design is still popular today. Supposedly, the singer slept in this style bed during her American tour. Yeah, so I just thought that that was absolutely fascinating. This is one of the reasons why I love going down the rabbit holes. It's so much fun. And it's a fun little bit of history because most people would just be like, oh, a Jenny Lynn bed or they've heard of it because they still are a popular style today. Right. But never thought about like, that's connecting the way my, it. Yeah, that's the way my brain works. I'm like, why is it called a Jenny Lynn bed? Because the only Jenny Lynn I know is that singer that we saw in The Greatest Showman. Exactly. And lo and behold, it really was <laughs> named for her. Yes. So how cool is that? So thanks for going down that rabbit hole with us. So there's also the gold room on this floor, and that was one of the daughter's rooms, and then also a trunk room and bathroom. Strangely, there is a phone in the trunk room. Yeah, we got a good laugh out of that because we're like, why would it's basically putting a phone in a closet? Why would you put a phone in a closet? Or in the toilet. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I have to say, 
I am a cleaning lady. I, I have had a few clients who do have phones in their bathrooms on the wall. Well, I, I have experienced that a couple times in Vegas at like, you know, the one of the nicer suites at the MGM Grand or something along those lines. You but never just... know when you're going to get that important phone call and you're busy doing a your deal, business. A deal needs to be made right now. Right. You can't wait. Oh the only thing I could think about with the trunk room is like all of a sudden you need some help. So you're calling the servants to come up and help you or I guess so. I just keep having flashbacks of like needing to flush and somebody's on the phone. And you're like, <laughs> um, do I talk really loud? Maybe they won't hear it. Or do I flush it and run quick so they don't hear it flushing? Yeah, I, I've had owners on my on my job that... <laughs> That you can tell they have that echo. It's a lot. Yeah. No, I've heard them flush. (laughs) So (laughs) that's a lot. I, you know, everybody, (laughs) most people with their their devices nowadays take them into the loo, shall we say. But oh, you know what? Yeah, we're sitting here laughing about people who have phones (laughs) mounted in their bathrooms and who doesn't take their cell phone into the bathroom with them. You're like, I'm going to be in there for 15 minutes. I need something to read. I know. There's so many memes about people updating stuff when they're on the toilet. And we know it's funny because it's true. I know that everybody does it. Oh, my word. I just don't want to touch anybody else's phone. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's got to be toxic (laughs) waste. Let me put on some gloves. (laughs) This bathroom was unique, Kelly, because it had a flush toilet. Well, it did, which I thought was really cool. I've seen it once before, but it had a gravity flush toilet. So essentially, it had the tank elevated. Gosh, it was probably eight feet up it It was was way up there way above my head and so the tank that would normally be behind your back was elevated up that high and then you pull a chain and essentially all your business goes down because of gravity (laughs) yes exactly kind of ingenious very ingenious There's also a marble frame mirror in that bathroom, as well as a tub, but the tub was not installed until later. So for bathing, servants would take portable tubs into each family member's bedroom. Which I might actually like. I mean, the master bathrooms now are right there in your master bedroom, basically. But back in the day, if you would have had to go down the hall, I I might have appreciated having the tub right there in my room. Well, sure. We went up to the third floor and saw the ballroom, which was up here. And it was pretty noisy. It was being set up for a special tea. And for that reason, we're playing sound bites for you here and there of the tour. But if we caught any EVP, we would not know because there was just so much contamination. Yeah, there was too much background noise. Yeah, you'd hear people up there murmuring, glasses clinking around and stuff while they were setting things up. So unfortunately, we didn't get any personal proof for ourselves of any ghostly activity, at least EVP wise. But it was a gorgeous area. Yeah, the highlight of this room was the Rosewood Square Grand Piano that was brought up the Missouri River by steamboat. There were servant bedrooms up here as well. Then we went back down the stairs and saw the servant staircase, which was really narrow as compared to the other staircase in the home. Oh my God, I would have gone ass over teats, do they call it? Yeah, you would have because <laughs> you trip quite easily. <laughs> There's no way I could have brought like a, a servant's tray of dinner or drinks or anything up and down. <laughs> yeah, because it was not just a narrow staircase. It, it was a r- wraparound. Yeah, it was, it was a spiral, somewhat spiral staircase and the actual stair steps were very shallow Mm -hmm. so maybe if you were lucky and you had really small feet maybe half your foot would fit on each step and the walls were really scarred up so oh my gosh yes (laughs) these stairs have gotten a lot of use and banged around a lot yeah i'm i'm figuring a few people went down in in my fashion And as we're describing this, you're hearing us, well, we went to the second floor, then we went up to the third floor, now we're coming back down, and you're going to hear about some more bedrooms. That's the way the tour went, so I think they kind of take you up and down. It's almost like you're going over a hump and then coming back down. Right. We found Mrs. Dodge's room here on this floor, and it had the unique addition of a marble sink area, kind of like having a vanity in your room, only there was a sink there. Right. It was lovely. I I thought, wow, they, they had this back then. Yeah, I was, was shocked. Very fancy and definitely an upgrade to have that right there in the bedroom. There's also a fireplace here with her original sewing basket and a shawl and handbag nearby. The wallpaper in this room was really unique. Do you want to describe it, Kelly? 
Oh gosh, it was so pretty. So essentially, it was probably, I don't know, I'd say 12 inch wide panels. And it was almost like a border, but it went ceiling to floor. And then on the sides, they extended that that painting of they had peacocks and trees and flowers, but on the edges to kind of blend it in with Mm -hmm. the surrounding environment, they had hand painted or they had an artist come in and hand paint additional portions of that that wallpaper to just have it blend in, but make it look more expansive, I guess. I thought this was the craziest thing because first of all, I'm like, why not just paper the whole wall? Right. Yeah, like you said, these are like foot long strips. And then there was almost two feet between each strip as you went around the room. And then, yeah, it would just finish off with the paint along the edges, I guess. So you didn't notice that it was wallpaper? I guess. I don't know. I It seemed just definitely like a, a decorative finish, a decorative addition, as opposed to, you know, your your traditional wallpaper. I don't know. It was very unique. I've never seen anything like it. The guide pointed out that in each of these rooms, the lights were retrofitted to be gas and electric. And then she pointed up to the medallion and told us something we had never heard before. The uh, candles that pointed up were gas plates, mm-hmm. and then the rest was electric retrofit. And the medallion up on top was to catch the plumes from the gas. Wow. Yes. I had no idea. I thought they I were just decorative. The Everybody thought that. I did that. not know that medallions had that purpose. The deal. Back in the Victorian era, wow. they like to paper the ceilings. So now you don't have to take the paper down and clean the whole ceiling. You oh. just clean that medallion and you're done. Wow. Because it oh. would suck it in because sure. of all the corners and crevices. Wow. Isn't that cool? I had no idea. No, no kidding. My mind was blown. I had no clue that the purpose of those medallions was to catch the, basically the burn off or the mm-hmm. fumes of the gas. I have been in I don't know how many Victorians and looked at all of these glorious medallions and never once had anyone tell me that they were anything other than decorative, that they had a purpose. I know. I mean, even today, they they sell like these plastic medallions that you can put up on your ceiling and custom paint or what have you when you're installing ceiling fans or light fixtures or whatever. And I had no idea that they actually had a purpose. Yeah, I didn't either. That was very cool to find that out. There was a guest room up here called the Art Nouveau room because the furnishings inside were of that style, including a French brass bed. There are also pear point puffed apple tree table lamps in here. And I did zero in on one of the pictures that we took in that room and put it up in the blog so that people can see what that looks like. That's a style that you can find at a lot of antique shows. I didn't know exactly what that was, and it's very cool. So it it kind of reminds me of a Tiffany lamp. It looks very similar, and I imagine that Tiffany might have made some. Maybe. I don't know for sure. Yeah, possibly. I, I would think so. We continued back down to the main level and got to see the kitchen. And what was the main thing we noticed about the kitchen? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So every kitchen should have this. (laughs) It was a ginormous marble sink area. It it was just beautiful. And it extended out into this big marble working slab, too. Right. It was like six feet long. Which, if you think about it, a lot of us nowadays have granite countertops. And then you have your sink kind of inside of that. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of the same effect. And to think that this kitchen back then had that. And just to think that this was provided for the servants to create the meals and everything for the family. I mean, it it was gorgeous. And speaking of the servants, this was their dining room. That's true. Yeah, this didn't have an upstairs, downstairs. They were all eating on the same level, just in two different rooms. Right. And they had a pass-through like butler window. A pantry branched off of the kitchen, and this had an icebox in it and a Hoosier-style cupboard. And that's kind of like it's it's got cupboards on the top and some shelving and then some drawers underneath it, that kind of thing. If you Google Hoosier-style, you'll see what it looked like. Then we went down to the basement, which had mostly just been for storage with a wine cellar, ice room, laundry room, and boiler area. They had so many amazing artifacts, though, from history there. 
I know you think, oh, we're going down into the creepy basement. <laughs> oh, it's going to be creepy. Let's was, do an investigation. Yeah, it was no. lit up really bright <laughs> and it had a lot of really great pieces of memorabilia from the family down there. Their books, photographs. There was a replica of Dodge's Council Bluffs Savings Bank office because he was the president for the savings bank down there. So they replicated right, his office right. there. And it was all displayed, you know, in a lovely manner. Everything had a description. The mannequin was a little weird, though. Well, (laughs) indeed it was. It was missing a body part. Would occasionally be missing it. Well, true. The guy told us her arm (laughs) kept falling off. (laughs) There was also a framed newspaper that was advertising a reward for the capture of the man who assassinated Lincoln. Yes. And then we learned something about the boiler that was down there, too. Right. So the boiler essentially was originally the furnace for the home. Mm-hmm. And and they just converted it, I yeah. guess. So it had I been. I didn't a, even know that that was possible. No, it had been a coal burning furnace and yeah. they switched it out with a boiler. And the flooring down there was a brick flooring, which was not original to the home. I have a feeling if it's like most basements back in the day, it would have been a dirt flooring. I'm sure it probably was. Whenever there's a dirt floor versus a new floor that's been put down, I always have curiosity as to what could possibly be below it. But that's my own (laughs) curious nature. Well, the interesting thing about the bricks that they did put down for the flooring is that these came from the Council Bluff streets. Oh, really? Okay, so they were just harvested from prior construction and just brought down there and utilized for their own own endeavor, I guess. Exactly. Okay. So that was us telling you about the house, but we want to tell you a little bit about the Dodge family that we hadn't already gotten into. As you've heard, we've mentioned daughters and Ruth Ann. Ruth Ann Brown is who General Dodge married, and they got married in May of 1854 in Boston, Massachusetts, because, you know, that's where he was originally from. So I think he wanted to go back home in order to marry his girl. Sure. They'd met in Peru, Illinois, and Ruth Ann was quite the catch with violet eyes and tomboy leanings that made her good at horseback riding and handling guns. Sounds like my kind of girl. I know. (laughs) You know, when we're talking about these stories, usually you end up focusing on the guy and the house's name for him. But as I started reading about Ruth Ann, what an amazing woman. And we're so excited to share with you guys her history because it is just as spectacular as his. While she would eventually end up living her life out in this grand home, the early years were rough as Ruth Ann lived in pioneer conditions. What she would do is follow Dodge from camp to camp during the war. So wherever he was going, she was going with him, too, and living out there on the prairie. And she kept nursing him back to health because he'd get sick and she'd take care of him. Can I call her a badass? Yeah, you can. (laughs) When the war first started, she joined a local group of women to form the Soldiers Aid Society. The society would prepare supplies for the soldiers in the form of food, medical supplies, and towels. And as I said, when her husband took sick, One time it was with typhoid. She nursed him back to health right out there in the field. At one point, the couple were in St. Louis, and Ruth Ann witnessed a man beating a female slave. She wrote this letter to the wife of Colonel Woods about the incident on March 31, 1862. Dear Mrs. Wood, I write this to let you know that old Scamp Whelan has been to work here about the Negroes. Went and got a justice to come and take Louisa away from Mrs. J. Robbins and has taken her off in some slave yard in another part of the city. You have no idea how it made my blood boil to hear how he treated the poor thing. Made her go without bonnet or shawl and struck her with an umbrella to make her go faster and she expecting every moment her child would be born. I wish you would let Colonel Wood know all about it. I think it is horrible and outrageous and I hope that Colonel Wood would catch him and make him suffer for it how i would like to see him shot wow (laughs) so she had some feelings yes she did tell the captain to get someone to call him down to rolla by some way and then sick his men on him he then carried louisa off she had sent her little boy up to her sisters and then he beat her till she told him where he was I felt like crying and was bound to let you know and your husband know how that scamp had been acting and all I ask is, Colonel Wood, catch him yet. My husband is quite ill and has not been up at all today. Am in hopes a few weeks rest will restore him. Do you think of leaving Rolla soon and have your husband come back? I shall be glad to hear from you. 
Truly, Mrs. G.M. Dodge. So yeah, here's this guy. He's beating a pregnant female slave in the street. And obviously she was PO'd. I would be. I would be too. So I don't I'm, know that I'd have the same restraint that she did to just write no, about it. I would have gone out there and started whacking him myself. Absolutely. <laughs> but she, I'm assuming Colonel Wood must have been someone in charge of the justice here. And so she was appealing to her friend saying, can you have your husband take care of this? Yeah, I think so. That's how it sounded. So I just thought that was very cool that, I mean, not just the fact that she was upset about it, but that she was trying to have something done about it. Right. She stepped up for what most couldn't even do or try to do in their time. And she was no shrinking violet. She let oh, her know definitely she was not. outraged. Yes. Ruth Ann would go on to become part of the Executive Committee for Women's Suffrage. She and her sister-in-law worked to save the library and council bluffs as well. Ruth Ann loved art, literature, and music, and could play both the piano and the guitar, which I thought was interesting. Doesn't sound like an instrument of the day that they would know. No, I agree. You would assume, yeah, piano for a woman, but yeah, you wouldn't normally think a woman would be playing a guitar back then. Not at all. She and Dodge would have three daughters together. In January of 1916, General Dodge died, and his wife died eight months later. So they were right together there, pretty much dying. Yeah. She told her daughters about a dream she had prior to her death in which she saw an angel offering her the water of life. Ruth Ann said, I was not yet ready for this supreme blessing. I felt unworthy, and it seemed to me it would be presumption on my part to partake of anything so wonderfully pure, so heavenly, so spiritual. The angel appeared a second time in a dream, and Ruth Ann wouldn't drink again. The angel came a third time in a dream, and this time she accepted the offer. After drinking from the bowl, Mrs. Dodge said she had been transformed into a new and glorious spiritual being. I drank of that wonderful water of life and it gave me immortality. After she died, her daughters commissioned the sculptor who eventually is going to make the Lincoln Monument, Daniel Chester French, to make a memorial for their mother featuring this angel. And Kelly, you and I actually saw this memorial. We did. And oh my goodness, it was so beautiful. Yes, it is. And a lot of people know the Ruth Ann Dodge Memorial more famously as the Black Angel. Right. So this is in the Fairview Cemetery. And as we mentioned, this was one of the stops that Jessica and Arena took us on to go visit this Black Angel. And you look at it and you're going, gosh, I don't understand why they call her the Black Angel. It's just a beautiful sculpture, but it has changed color. Right. I think, isn't it primarily due to like algae and, and yeah, weathering? Yeah, the water's weathered it away Right. And stuff. I read in several places that this was actually where she was buried too, but that is not true. The Dodges are buried in the family mausoleum, which is located at Walnut Hill Cemetery. The couple's youngest daughter, Anne, took over the house, but she only used it occasionally throughout the year. So I don't know if she hosted different things there or something, but she didn't live there all the time. Right, possibly. She died in 1950 and the Dodge Family Trust sold the home. And in 1961, it became a National Historic Landmark. The Historical Society of Potawatomi County held a public drive to raise funds to buy the house, and it did so successfully. The City of Council Bluffs restored the house and made it into a museum. And fun fact, Fort Dodge in Kansas is named in his honor, as is Dodge City. I know we did an episode on Dodge City, and I'd forgotten that it was named for him. Well, there you go. This is your fun fact. I don't know. What day is today? Fun fact Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> The Dodge family loved this house, and some believe that they never left. When we asked our guide about her experiences, she really had not had any yet, but she had only been there for a short time. So we're going to play a short soundbite of her response. So I always ask people when we go into these old places, because I'm interested in haunted history, have you guys had any There's rumors that you can't explain? It online. Um, if you ask next door, they say, oh, so I don't know. I watch all that stuff on TV. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I only started watching it about a month ago because I happened across one where they were showing electromagnetic fields and showing you how the changes in electromagnetic fields and the way to read voices in electromagnetic fields was incredible. So I watch it, and I would bet this is on there. But they rent the dining room, they rent the ballroom, and they rent the grounds. So my guess is someone's been in here testing it for some kind of ghosts or spirits sure. or whatever but yeah there's stuff online about it but the people next door say Pfft. so they haven't really had anything happen to them that they were like oh yeah. that was weird yeah. yeah I don't know every once in a while you just you just know 
mm-hmm. when you're in a space that's... Mm-hmm. Especially a- when you see a house like this, how gorgeous it was. Yeah. You'd want to stay with it and make sure people weren't yeah. messing it up. And you'd be very, I would think you'd be very happy with the way this has turned out. So our guy believes in this stuff, but the main people in charge kind of shy away from talking about hauntings. We run into this a lot in these homes because they don't want to be known for their hauntings. This usually results in not a lot of ghost stories. So what is out there? Yeah, because she referenced that she's seen a lot of stuff online about hauntings, but she didn't know anything herself. Right. So unfortunately, that left us hanging with, okay, I guess we have to look online to see what's going on. Exactly. Because we personally, no experiences at all. And I didn't feel anything weird in the house at all either. No, I did not either. And a lot of times I'll be in in an environment and I'll get that weird vertigo kind of feeling, even if it's not necessarily something that that should pertain Mm -hmm. to the situation. I didn't have that. And in saying that, of course, we didn't do an investigation. We that were just is true. doing a day tour and I had my recorder going. So that's basically all the kind of investigating we were doing. So Right, right. It we wasn't might, any other. Yeah, we might have had EMFs going off or the dousing rods might have worked, but we didn't do any of that. So Exactly. The main apparition people claim to feel and see here is the man who loved this place the most and had it built to his specifications. And that, of course, is General Dodge. Several people have claimed to see his full-bodied apparition sitting in his favorite rocking chair. His shadow is also seen walking the hallways of the house. But there are other hauntings here, too, and they're hard to pinpoint as to what is causing them. Light flashes and the smell of smoke are experienced outside the residence on the property. I don't know if we had some kind of a battle, maybe, in the area. I don't know exactly. It's just people smell smoke. I'm like, is it tobacco smoke? Is it gunpowder smoke? Right, right. I mean, because it's it's very definitive, you know, when you when you can get that background information in Mm -hmm. terms of what kind inside people have claimed to hear the disembodied voices of two men fighting with each other. There were quite a few political people in the home. So maybe these are arguments about politics that are resounding through the decades. I don't know, something residual going on. The spirit of a young girl is seen in the home, too, particularly in the servants' quarters area. But we don't know of any children that actually died in the house, so I'm not sure why. That could be a servant's child, though. Maybe. Possibly something they would not have reported. Exactly. People have claimed to take her picture in the small windows of the front door, but I think people have probably picked up, Kelly, you and I don't trust window pictures too much. Yeah, not really. It's so easy to, especially with the old glass, oh my gosh, I mean, it can be seated glass, it's got the swirls, and any little bit of glare or smudge, it really is easy to see something that isn't necessarily Mm -hmm. there. I mean, it could be there, but it's really hard to prove. Now, considering the nice story behind the creation of the Black Angel Monument in Fairview Cemetery for Ruth Ann Dodge, it's hard to believe that it has malevolent stories about it, but it certainly does. And the stories are pretty crazy. People scare children by telling them that she shoots lines of fire from her eyes when the clock strikes midnight. Oh, good grief. Other stories (laughs) claim that she springs to life after it gets dark and roams among the tombstones. Her stare is said to curse anyone who looks into it too long, or if you gaze into her eyes at midnight. And the weirdest story is that children who run behind the statue disappear forever. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I looked directly into her eyes. I didn't run behind. And well, of course, I'm not a child. But no. <laughs> I mean, it, that's just kind of crazy. It's a beautiful monument. I mean, mm-hmm. I just was so taken with the whole entire environment it was so peaceful hearing the water running i mean it was just beautiful and calming and yeah because it has just lovely it's like a fountain because she it's that living water is in a bowl kind of that she's holding up and it's dripping down into a little well of water that's underneath her exactly yeah i thought it was gorgeous we had a great time touring this house and kelly you and i never fail to learn something when we're in these homes absolutely Is the General Dodge house haunted? That That is is for you you to decide. decide. Well, another great place that we have visited together. I hope everybody enjoyed hearing about that. We'd love to have you check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Over on YouTube, we got some great comments. I want to thank Michelle S. for those. She made some on the elementals. 
And David H. made some comments on the Natchez City Cemetery video that we have up there. We hope everybody is having a wonderful UL, which is still ongoing. Absolutely. And that you had a Merry Christmas. And for those of you that celebrate Hanukkah, that's ongoing as well. And for anything that you might be observing at this time, happy, happy. Very much. Happy, happy. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Michael Heflin for increasing your donation. We're going to be moving you into an obelisk headstone. And welcome into the cemetery, Karen Harris. We'll be moving you under a marble headstone. Nice. Welcome to the cemetery, guys. Mort will take very good care of you. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.